This is the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast, a place for those who care about strengthening families and protecting children. You'll hear about the innovations, emerging trends, and success stories across child welfare, direct from those striving to make a difference. This is your place for new ideas and information to support your work to improve the lives of children, youth, and families. Ensuring that those with contact or experience with the child welfare system are brought aboard to help influence child welfare policies and programs continues to be a growing trend across agencies. That, plus recognizing the impact of hearing the stories of hope, trauma, resilience, and pain directly from children, youth, and families, has state and local child welfare agencies working more with alumni of the child welfare system. But in doing so, are agencies understanding exactly how to best leverage the live experience to provide long-lasting impacts? Do we recognize the emotional toll sharing these deeply personal stories has on the current or former foster youth? Welcome into the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast, everyone. Tom Oates here, and glad you are sharing your time with us. We are spending time in the next two episodes with members of Foster Care Alumni of America. And as it sounds, uh, Foster Care Alumni of America is made up of alumni of foster care, ranging in age, who work to transform policy and practice, create greater awareness. And as you'll recognize just from the familiarity and comfort our guests have with each other, establish a strong sense of community and family. You know, when we first started recording, we, we planned on exploring the best practices or really the nuts and bolts of effectively incorporating lived experience into both policies and programs. And we do talk about it. However, the conversation dives deeper into topics such as strategically choosing the term alumni over lived experience or expertise, what child welfare agencies should be looking for in alumni partners, but also the distinction especially for those child welfare professionals who are alumni, between being a professional caseworker or staff member and being an advocate or storyteller. The concept of always being on display has longer lasting impacts than, than I originally thought about. And this conversation opened my eyes a bit more. We're joined in this part one by April Curtis Rivera, co-founder of Foster Care Alumni of America and its board chair along with Victor Sims and Latasha Pearson, both of whom served on FCAA's National Foster Care Youth and Alumni Policy Council and have or currently are working as child welfare professionals. Now, for those of you who work with or are planning on working with youth or alumni, listen particularly close to the messages around never aging out of advocacy and the importance of alumni having boundaries about what they share, who they share with, and when they share while they're being an advocate. It was a privilege to be a fly on the wall for this conversation. You will quickly hear that this is a family, an alumni group built on shared experiences and, and being present for each other. Okay, here is part one of Foster Care Alumni, Making Lived Experience Matter on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. April Curtis Rivera, Victor Sims, Latasha Pearson, thank you so much for your time and welcome into the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. And you know what, April, I want to start with, with you. And first, let's just bring the audience up to speed about FCAA. What makes Foster Care Alumni of America unique from, and there are plenty, of the other policy and advocacy and, and alumni groups out there? 
Well, thank you for having me and, and my colleagues today. The vision for Foster Care Alumni of America was developed by alumni of foster care, adults who once were in the foster care system. And I know today we talk about people who don't want to be identified as alumni or what's the right words. Do we use lived expertise, lived experience? For us at that time, back in 1999, we were really trying to take it to the next level of policy and education. Many of the leaders that were brought to, together across um, the U.S., they were youth advisory board members. So they were staunch advocates at their local levels, pushing policy and legislation. And then what happened was we aged out. And we were like, what's next? What, what becomes of the leaders, right? We just don't go away. And at that time, the Chafee Foster Care Independence Act came out and which really drug, drove home the, um, the whole bringing youth and young adults as well uh, to the table. So for us, our mission is to ensure high quality of life for those in and from foster care through the collective voice of alumni, but also through the collective voice of those who are allies. For us, it's it's bigger than just saying you got to either have an experience in child welfare system or you can sit at the table. We open up our table for those that have been reunified, that have been adopted, that have aged out, that... Um, that literally have may have had a month of experience in the child welfare system. Our table is big for all of those who have ever once sent a child welfare system. And we work in partnership with, uh, with allies. Thank you, April. And that, that helps set the table because if we start talking about influencing and helping to shape policy. Uh, Victor and Latasha, you both have deep experience in this. You know, you're former members of the National Foster Youth and Alumni Policy Council, which is supported both by FCAA and, and Foster Club. And Victor, let me start with you. You know, what did that entail? You know, you're providing information and input and guidance to, to stakeholders on, on policies and procedures, but give me a sense, Victor, what, what does that mean? Um, it entailed um, the ability to the ability to be unapologetically wrong, um, to have those tough conversations um, that we all try to like push under the rug um, or swept under the rug is what I like to say. Um, so, I mean, human trafficking um, I think was a, a huge conversation. Um, the first policy council meeting that I went to, uh, and trying to like get away from calling you know kids human traffickers are prostitutes, but like calling it by like what it, re what it really is, like people trafficking. Um, educational um, stability for, you know, children in foster care, but like, you know, having the opportunity to um, expose the system um, through our own traumas is the best way I, I, can, I can frame it um, and create policies around it. Um, it's one thing just to open our mouths and tell our story. Uh, but it's another thing to see action that goes behind the stories that are told. Um, and that's what made uh, specifically the policy council um, very different in my opinion was like, I, I felt like there were more times when I saw action happen um, than just, you know, a day at the Capitol where I just say the story and like go back home and like, well, that was great. I just, you know, became raw and like, you know, in two years, I'll come back up here and this will be the same problem that nobody's like changing or addressing. That's the, the, the idea that making a difference and, and your story is one thing, your story you know, creates awareness and creates openness. Latasha, I'm curious if you found not only the same experience that Victor did, but what it was it about either who you were talking to or whatever venue you were in or, you know, the, the, the forum that you found yourself sharing your story, why was it that you were able to make a difference, see policy changes 
compared to other times where you're just sharing your story? Well, um, I definitely think that being a part of the council, as um, Victor said, allowed us opportunity to come together with fellow alumni. And it really allowed us to make a difference in the sense that it was a group voice. Um, a lot of times when you're doing advocacy, whether it's at the local or state level, it's kind of siloed work, like you're off you know, with a certain group, but with the council, we were able to come together with as a representative of the United States, which was really awesome. And I think it, it made our voice more powerful and more um, taken a, a little more seriously, um, just from the fact that we were a united front when we did come together and uh, commenting on legislation or coming up with different policies um, or things that were important to us as a group. So that's why I felt um, I was able to make a difference simply just because we all came together under shared um, experiences and um, valued each other and really respected each other in terms of what we brought to the table. And so there's something also about, like you mentioned, the forum that you were in and, you know, being being a unified group is one thing and also at the federal level to, to have that influence. But so you've got agencies that are thinking of something similar. They are saying, you know, we want to have that you know, lived experience, lived expertise. We want that, that alumni to help influence us. But it doesn't necessarily mean going through your Rolodex and looking through who is either about to age out or maybe has age out and just calling them up and saying, hey, what do you think? Um, I want to make sure agencies understand that who they select matters, though everybody's story has has weight to it, but how you're going to actually make a difference. So if we're talking about really using lived experience and getting the right people and the right experience, not only experience of their time in care, but their experience in developing policies, procedures, and you know, service uh, service programs. So April, let me start with you about trying to find the the right type of people to provide the most impact. When looking for former foster youth and alumni to help provide their perspective, what is it that you would recommend agencies should be screening for and looking for in potential youth partners? It depends on the ask, right? So there, there's different levels. One of the, the greatest things that I love about FCAA is that there's no age out, so you see a lot of agencies um, earlier in your question, you talked about um, a difference in, in how we um, bring policy. You're a lifetime member of FCAA. So you can be 50 years old and you're still bringing policy and legislation, right? We're not saying that once you hit 24, we're done working with you. Your expertise was great. Thank you for that. Keep it moving. What we're saying is you are getting like fine wine. You are aging with wisdom and you can bring back after you've done the journey of healing and bring more lens to it. If you asked me at 19 about policy, Yes, I was trained and, and I, I got pulled together for the Youth Advisory Board, but I was still going through a healing mechanism. And so you got to understand you get what you ask for, right? Someone who's raw and they're going to give it to you straight up. And, and that's great. And we want to hear from those advocates because they're living it, right? They are dealing with it every day. If you're talking about immediate changes into policy or best practices at the frontline level, work with your young people that are currently transitioning or in transition, as well as that are just fresh out of transitioning out of foster care. If you're talking about transitions that 
um, as you reflect on older services, right? Support services for uh, those that have aged out of the child welfare system or have reunified or have been adopted. Then you want to bring back those individuals that have had the experience that have gone through the different um, the different levels. And then, then they can bring back and say, well, this is the lens. I'm now a mother of three and I know what it was like for me and I have a different perspective. My shift has the lens in which I look at policy has changed as I have changed and as I have grown and I've healed at my different levels of education as well as um, being a parent. And so I would say to agencies, it's really important that you are making sure that you're preparing the young people. One thing we were always, um, that was always important for us is that even if you're bringing young people to the table, that you are teaching them how to strategically share their story that we're not asking young people to come to the table just so that we can use them as a token to say how bad or how good was the child welfare system. We actually want to make sure that we've teach them, we teach them about policy and best practices. And then as they age and they get older and they take, they want to stay in this field, you want to bring them back to the table because they also have some more tools under their belt. Is there a case then for also when people are thinking about bringing in this experience that they bring in the diversity of ages? Absolutely. You know, that the value that a 19-year-old is going to provide of the day-to-day, and here's what I'm dealing with, because somebody who's 34 may have a different lens and also probably wasn't dealing with, let's say, social media, wasn't dealing with a different way of communicating, a different set of technology. So how are you providing that sort of kind of bigger picture lens? So, so, you know, I hear that the kind of the diversity of experience, the diversity of thought really matters. It absolutely does. So, Victor, when... When agencies bring aboard, you know, be it experience, let's just use that phrase, um, what should they be expecting these folks to be able to do? I mean, what are the right roles to have this experience brought to the table? Well, I think I think something that April said was 100% on point. Um, like, one, you don't age out. Like, you, you, like I, I don't age out of being an alumni. I don't, my experience is always going to be there. Um, and it, it's a hard truth, like, I mean, I'm only 25 at this current moment and I turned 26 this year. And I, I have been talking to like Cody um, and some of my other friends about like, oh my gosh, like I age out of like advocacy, um, which is a crazy thing to like think about. But like everybody cuts us off at like 26 years old. And like, I've been trying to back out like over the last year and a half because I'm like, I don't want it to like come to a hard stop. So I'd rather control it. It's you know, probably my traumas um, where I'd rather control it before it gets to me. Um, control the rejection, like, uh, even through the pandemic, like April, um, April and I've actually kept in contact probably more than any other year. Um, and it's just, a, may just be a quick text. It may just be like a group text with, you know, some of our other colleagues on just like how we're doing. Um, and it's being okay with that. Uh, April, my first time I was 18 years old, just turned 18 when I first met April. Um, and I like, automatically coined her as Auntie April. Don't know why, but like, coined it. Now everybody is stealing it, not going to lie. But, you know, um, every now and then I get a little jealous. Um, but, like, it was that because, like, I understood her wisdom, but I also understood, like, her experience. So I was like, you know what, like, I relate to you because, like, we went through the same experience, but I value you and I, like, respect you because, like, you're still here, um, which is a, it, it's a tough thing. Um, because, you, like, 26, like, I could just, like, disappear. And, like, I'm not going to say nobody would care, but, like, at this point, like, it's all about, like, the new, fresh, what's going on. Um, and we're honestly, like, repeating the same stuff. Like, April will, like, will tell you, like, yeah, we've been fighting this. And that's why, like, I love being called an alumni of care. 
Um, I also like being called, you know, lived, lived expertise and lived experience. But the one I like associate with most is actually the alumni because I'm like, you know what, like, yes, like you don't graduate the, the system, but like I've made it through that system. Like, I don't care what anybody says, like that system's like harder than high school. And if you can call me an alumni of me graduating high school, like you can definitely call me an alumni of me going through the system of care that like was tough. You know, like the reason why the alumni is usually associated with something is because it's a tough experience. You know, it's tough to go through high school. It's tough to go through college. And it's, it's tough to go through, uh, through, the, through the foster care system. And then when we're looking at like people with experience, like, um, like right now I work as a management consultant and like they wanted to put me on a project. And I was like, yes, I have like, you know, experience with understanding permanency, but like, I only understand it from an adoption lens. You know, I don't understand what it looks like when someone ages out of the system of care, when they reunify, um, when they um, end up um, being placed with a kinship provider. Like, yes, I had an experience in the system, but my experience is not a holistic view of what like multiple people will see in the system. So I'm like, we need to like, like look at that and bring more people in. And the, the team has been okay with it. I mean, probably because I just keep repeating it like in every meeting, um, but like, it, being okay with saying like, yes, I experienced it, but like my experience is not like, is not the only representation of the system of care. Um, being okay with, you know, I, I, I didn't get adopted in, in many people's eyes. Um, it's, it's a privilege. It, and I wrote an article just recently about the privilege of being adopted um, in the system of care, but I still went through the rejections. I still went through um, the no's. I still went through not knowing where I was going to sleep, if I was going to get picked up from, um, a person. And one of the things April told me the first time I met her back in 2014 was own your story and love your story. Um, and it's something that has stuck with me, even whenever, you know, I speak, you know, as a consultant, I'm always like, Hey, like, this is me as a professional, but then this is me as someone with lived expertise. Like this is my experience in the system. This is my experience as a professional. Um, and like having to like separate those two when I'm having conversations, because if you want my experience as a, as a professional, it's not going to look the same as my experience as as someone who's lived through this system and Latasha and April can probably like echo those same sentiments as they both like work in the system. But it brings the idea of when you are bringing somebody to the table, you should be able to embrace everything that it is about them. And that includes, as we are talking about, like the, the diversity of experience, the diversity of, 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 of thought and also, as alumni grow, and you can, you know, anyone who's listening to this, think about your, your high school or your college, you know, there's the collective group, which has weight. That goes right back to talking about, you know, what Latasha was saying when you're, you're, you're dealing with federal stakeholders and everybody had this large, single, unified, you know, theme. Well, within that is the is the pieces and 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 and, and parts of all of our of all of our you know uh, pathways right that get here. So leveraging that as a whole, and so L Latasha, we talk about you know using you know bringing somebody's whole you know we, and it's the phrase the whole self, um, and no matter where they are on on their journey, be they twenty six or thirty four or nineteen, but at that point when agencies do partner and if they're able to find the right people who can share and influence uh, policies and programs, where should they be able to say, all right, we know what we can expect out of you, but what also should they not expect out of, out of the alumni that they partner with? I think the interesting thing about when you are partnering with alumni is they, because they have that dual experience, those dual experiences as both professional um, for some and alumni care. I don't think 
there is a set um, guideline you can go by or set um, rules to working with them. I think you have to get to know them individually um, and those experiences that they come with. And so I think that takes time. I think you just have to find um, young people that you're willing to take the time to develop that relationship with. And as you're doing so, also be willing to invest in them in terms of helping them grow as professional and as people ultimately. And so for me, I don't know if I, I'm not sure if I answered it, the question necessarily, but I don't think there's a set um, that you can give for what you should expect because people come with so many different layers to themselves. You, you may think you're getting one type of individual when they come to the table, you realize they have a whole different set of skills or their um, experiences are totally different. So what would I take? Have to be open-minded. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I agree with Latasha. The, the biggest thing for me is that here's a big no, no, I will say it. Latasha <laughs> is if I am in the health and human service field, if I'm at the table and I work for your agency it should not be an automatic given that I'm going to tell my story just to move things forward for you and your organization. Oh, yes. Agreed. That, that, <laughs> so, that, that, so it's not that that's not a part of my job description unless yes. I'm a storyteller. Right. So right. If, if I'm hired as the agency storyteller, I absolutely want to tell the stories and, and be able to give you that input. But just as we bring in experts from the outside and pay them, right? We we want to make sure that if we're using our staff and dual roles, some, many of our young people or young adults who are in this field, they don't understand the duality of the roles sometimes. And they're like, they're excited because I went through that. I, w- I went through a period in my life, mm, say about 20 years ago, I was excited that I got to tell my story and I was at a job that I loved, but I didn't realize what it was doing. It was pulling a Band-Aid. It was ripping a Band-Aid off for me every day and I was on display at work every time I had to tell my story. Here I thought I was educating people and I was providing the support that they needed or the education they needed to help our young people. But I was reliving my trauma with nobody to say to me, you know, do you need help and support after this? Are we, are you okay? It was great job, April. We just got $10,000 in fundraising or $100,000. It was, you know, and so I'm very strategic when I'm working with young adults, even today in my role. I'm a chief strategy officer, so I have the ability to make those decisions. And so I'm not going to ask of a staff of to relive their trauma of what I wouldn't want somebody to ask of me. Now, if we're in a situation in which they want to be able to help create craft draft policy, best practices, and support that. And if they're comfortable and they've gone through the trainings and they have the resources after they've told their story or anything like that, that we're going to go down that path. But I'm also going to compensate them because what they're telling us is their expertise that we're not going to find in the books. There's a point that you're talking about, about what does this, you know, what's the, the again, this goes back to what Victor was talking about of the whole person. Right. And and are, what are we bringing you to the table for? Um, and let's like you would pay any expert. Recognize that expertise. Um, so Latasha and, and Victor and Latasha, let me start with you first. If, if we could have you kind of revisit those times when you had that seat at the table and, and there's a difference I'm, I'm gathering from having a seat at the table 
versus being there when the table is created from the first part. So I'm curious to what your experiences were in, in working with agencies. Well, um, as a young person, I started at 23 and I'm 28 now. So I've kind of been removed a little bit from um, the work that I used to do. But when I first started out, I think my experiences was were that of what April mentioned. I was asked to share my story a lot. And it was only once I started doing it that I realized I was being tokenized. Um, and it was draining me, honestly. And I had to take a step back um, because it was taking away my love for advocacy in a way. Like I stopped feeling that I was doing it more so for me and it became about for the agencies that I was working for. And they weren't asking the questions of, you know, are, do you want to keep sharing? It was more of, I started to share and then it was kind of taken as, uh, now you have to do it regularly. And so that experience is also became a part of my experience as a professional, which I was not prepared for when I became, started working as a professional also with agencies because they knew my story. It made it a lot harder to just be seen as professional because there's times as an advocate where you, you want to step back from that role and you want to do your job um, and work with young people as just a professional. You all, you love the work that you do as an advocate, but that's not who you are 24-7. So it didn't allow me to have balance with that. And I started to resent it. And so I took like a year off where I just needed um, time. So I definitely my experience has really changed over the years from 23 to 26, well, 27, because I um, was not, I, I don't think I had the right people around me once I left, you know, being with the council or just day-to-day -day work. I think I had to learn on my own personally to take those steps back and to really have a balance between my work and what I chose to share. So, yeah. Victor, does that ring true to you? Yeah. Um, when, when this conversation first started, um, I was thinking about um, something April told me when I was probably like 19 or 20. Um, I was talking about like how I did this fundraiser speech for one of the organizations I actually grew up in care at, and I was going to go work for them. And April was very straightforward. She said, be careful with that because you've already started sharing your story there. Like, be prepared that they may continue to want to do that, even the, like now that you work for them. And so I had to be very like strategic every time they would ask me after I started working for them and say, oh, we can do it. We're going to do like a contract at like 1099 and I will charge you this much to do it. Uh, and they did it <laughs> because that's the only person like agencies struggle with like keeping up with people they serve after they no longer serve them. So someone being in their face, it wasn't too hard to like tell them, this is like what we're going to do. Um, but April, like April spent a lot of time developing me. Like I will say, like she took in the aunt role as much as possible. Um, and it helped me keep myself closed up enough um, to where I didn't like always feel like I was turned on when I was at work. In the beginning, when I first had those awkward conversations about, hey, I work here now. Um, like, I'm, not, I'm not here just for your fundraiser. I'm not here just for an advocate. I have a degree and this degree says like, I should be able to do this. And I don't want you to feel like if I don't do this, then my job is on the line. Um, and so having those tough conversations up front and being prepared um, and being okay with, 
I may have been told, no, like we actually hired you mainly to do this. Like, and because you have your degree, we can use you as this as also. Um, like April was very like upfront with me about that. So I was prepared. Um, I struggled probably the most um, now at larger grand scheme of thing events um, when I'm working with other organizations that may be uh, touching Foster Club or FCCAA, like the community's big, but small. Um, and so if I say something for a call here, it's assumed that I, I'm okay with having it with a call here and it will be brought up. And then I'm like, no, no, I was comfortable with saying this with FCAA or Foster Youth in Action. I'm not okay with saying this with whoever I'm in front of at that moment. Um, and so even like because the community is so big and large, big and small, people just overshare because you've said it once that they believe, you know, it should be broadcasted everywhere. I'm very like, like everyone, like one of the first things Foster Club, um, as well as um, FCA teaches is about red light, yellow light, green light, and knowing like where your levels are and when you should share. Um, and that's one thing that I've like learned the most is like, is this is this a place where I should like share? If this is a one-on-one meeting, I'm more likely to open up a little more if I if I've met you like once or twice before. Jerry Milner, I, I I'm more open with Jerry Milner than I will be with the current new um, commissioner of the Children's Bureau because I don't really know her. And so, what I would be okay with saying with him, I may not be able to say with her. Same thing with Rafael Lopez. Like what I might be okay with saying to him may not be the same thing I'd be okay with saying with Jerry Milner. And and being like and being told it's okay not to have to like feel like you have to share that. Um. I think that was the strongest part. And so learning that when I was 18, 19, um, I've always been guarded on, okay, if I'm having this conversation, what am I like, willing to say? Um, and being okay with, you know, this this may look differently than where, where you've seen me before. Um, I may be more excited here. And maybe it's because there's a, a personal connection that I'm attached to here. Like this call right here, like I've got three of my colleagues and friends on the call. So I'd be more like, like this is an exciting call. Like, because like, these are my friends, these are my colleagues, these are family. Um, and so I'm willing to like open up and share more because like, I know what the, like, who, who everyone in this group is, to be honest. Um, and so I'm more willing to share just because I know if I say something that may like, be a lot for me to handle right in the moment, I can call April, I can call Latasha, I can call Cody and like, debrief and say, man, that was a tough moment. I have never shared that before and be okay with it. Which which brings me to a point. Well, first of all, I want to say for the record, um, I don't know if Victor Victor <laughs> and Enemio in in English <laughs> in English means the 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 guy, the kid of mine, the the boy of mine. Um, I did not pay him to say any of the things he said today. Like I, you can see, every time he opens his mouth and I see my name, my eyes lit up. Um, but it just it, it really does ring true to paying homage, and and that's something I do speak when speaking with young people and young adults is being able to pay it forward. Um, some of the things that we, we don't get a chance to do, especially when we're in agencies are working with, they don't, they don't understand or, or continue how to connect with people. And young people live, leave their systems not knowing how to stay connected because they were supposed to be for them for a moment in time. With Foster Care Alumni of America or agencies, we create that forever door, right? And so, being able to to be able to say to a Victor or Latasha, I want to talk to her about motherhood, right? At 27, I stepped away from a national from FCAA at that time. At I was a first-time mom and and I didn't care. I, I wanted to be able to know what it's like to be a mom without being on display. And so the normalcy of life. And what I hear from Victor and from Latasha is 
what can we continue to do while still feeling normal? It is absolutely normal, whether or not you grew up in foster care, to have boundaries, to have healthy boundaries on who you share your story with. The fact that I'm hearing him say that he's processing that, we didn't normalize that for him. We didn't normalize that sense of boundaries for Latasha to feel okay to step away from child welfare and being the advocate to be able to be a mom. We have to normalize being able to be an advocate and not penalize the fact or victimize the fact that someone steps up, steps back. And so when we're talking to agencies, is them understanding that young adults and you know adults my age, I, I'm still struggling with the fact that I'm 40 and um, I'm not considered a young adult. When I yes, want to you be, are. Right? Young at heart. <laughs> young at heart. Oh, oh, April, April, I remember I 40. I want to get paid for so. that. Right. <laughs> do. I know you want to get paid for that comment. He always reminds me I'm old, just so you know, Tom. Um, <laughs> I'm the old auntie in the room. But what you can see from today, Tom, is that we built our own structures, our own family structures, our own systems. You know, if someone asked me, you know, how many kids do you have or how many nieces and nephews you have? Gosh, I feel like I'm the old lady in the shoe, right? I had so many kids, they didn't know what to do. <laughs> and, that, and that's because we are living and breathing that peer-to-peer support. And that is what agencies have to figure out how to basically bring together. What does peer-to-peer support look like if they're going to have those with lived experience, lived expertise coming to the table more than just once and not just in token. Now, in part two, you'll hear the importance through their own personal stories of alumni as a peer group, a family and a support system. And there are takeaways for professionals, too, in demonstrating how to show up for these advocates, how to support them. The group also shares their guidance for those youth and alumni who who choose to serve as advocates or share their stories, how to manage the emotional impact and help establish boundaries. Plus, the group gives their thoughts as we work toward the future and best ways to improve and reform foster care. A reminder to subscribe to the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or SoundCloud. New episodes come your way every month. If you head on over to childwelfare.gov and head to our podcast page, you'll find this episode's page with links to our National Foster Care Month page, our collection of resources for youth, links to FCAA, and our lists of state youth advocacy and advisory boards and foster care alumni associations so you can find your connections across the field. My thanks to April Curtis Rivera, Victor Sims, and Latasha Pearson for their time, their energy, and their willingness to share with us. Make sure you check out part two of this conversation. And of course, thanks so much to you for taking time to be part of our community here on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. I'm Tom Oates. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Child Welfare Information Gateway is available at childwelfare.gov and is a service of the Children's Bureau, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Administration for Children and Families. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Information Gateway or the Children's Bureau.